2: Log Talk Radio. Good evening. It is. It, it, this is Mike Vandervoort, and it's uh, Taco Tuesday. It's also Cinco de Mayo and much of that festivity has been ruined by the coronavirus. So welcome to drive-through <laughs> HR, <laughs> and, and in lieu of being at a Mexican restaurant and sharing uh, various alcoholic or non-alcoholic beverages, uh, Robin and I decided to try to get a couple of friends together tonight and have a chat. So Robin, welcome uh, to this episode of Drive-Through. How are you? I uh,
0: I am good. I'm glad to be here. Um, it's probably better that I'm not sitting eating endless baskets of chips and salsa at some Mexican restaurant. Um, and I, we didn't even make, um, anything festive. I, I had like the most boring dinner of pork chops and potatoes and vegetables tonight. So not even exciting. Uh,
2: I went to Taco Bell for lunch and that's as close to Taco <laughs> Tuesday as I got. I had a break, so, uh and I'm drinking diet Pepsi. So, um, Anyway, yeah. So our guests are, are here. Um, so I'd like to welcome Heather Blessing and John Sumser to the show. How are you guys doing this evening? Fantastic, fantastic. May the, may the Cinco be with you, or yeah, <laughs> yeah. something like that. Because the Fourth was with us with with us yesterday. I can't say that one. May the Fourth be with you. Yeah. So, uh, Heather, you well. Well,
1: may, may the fifth be with you is a whole different thing. Exactly.
2: And, and that can be good or bad, <laughs> and, right?
1: And may be uh, perfect for Cinco de Mayo.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I know I saw, I saw at least a couple HR people that were holding up bottles of tequila. So I'm pretty sure that somebody tomorrow is going to wake up with a bad headache on Wednesday morning. But that, it won't be me. So I'm glad <laughs> for that. Um,
1: Anyway, and they
2: may not we'll, have we'll, to go anywhere. So hey. True. Sure they, they. They. Well. They. Or Or they'll fall asleep on their desk at work. One of the. Or you know. Who knows? Anyway. <laughs> anything is possible these days, except finding a decent meal in a restaurant at the moment. They actually did just reopen restaurants in Florida, but. Um, I'm not ready to undertake that adventure yet. And it's like 25% capacity versus closed beaches in California, which we'll probably talk about. But anyway, so welcome to Drive Um I guess uh, I, you know, our normal practice is to ask uh, a guest or guests to introduce themselves. So Heather, why don't you start and tell folks uh, that may not know you, who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, I'm Heather Bussing and I'm an employment lawyer in California and I also work with the HR examiner and write and edit and um, work on projects with John and we're doing a really cool one right now called Small Scenarios where Mm -hmm. we take questions about what's going to happen starting now and down the road with the pandemic and and what are the questions that people should be asking and where should they start to look for answers?
2: Hmm. Nice. And John? Well, well, so I'm John Sumter
3: and I work with Heather Bussing at the HR Examiner. (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) And she's in the next room. She said, "We're doing that horrible thing. I'm not sure who's the boss and who's the employee, but but um, but, but we're having an affair. Um, it's a long <laughs> thing.
2: <laughs>
0: good thing. There's an employment lawyer in the house to handle it.
2: Yeah, It's that's completely right, that's right. Consensual. <laughs> I remember. Sh- I don't know. It was, it was years ago, John. I called you, and for some reason, I I had I'd asked to have a call with you, and and, and it was one of the first times we had talked, I think, on the phone. We'd met each other at conferences and stuff. But, but anyway, I was talking to you, and I, I, I said something along the lines at the end of the call about, I love Heather. And John says, you called me up to ask me a question, and now you're trying to hit on my wife? And I was like, hey, for <laughs> minutes, I almost fell off my chair. Because, because I take you are so seriously. I'm, serious, sure, I'm, sure, I I, I, I'm <laughs> sure I
3: never said any such thing. I'm sure I never said any such thing.
2: All right, well, we'll all live in in denial. No, I was, it was like, I was like, yeah, I didn't really do that. But okay. No, anyway, yeah, I was, I was kind of nonplussed for a second. I didn't know how to respond. So anyway, (laughs) thanks for that. (laughs) My my favorite
1: drive through moment is back in the olden days, they, they used to ask you what keeps you up at night. Uh-huh. And so Tim, William Tincup asked me that, and I said John Sumser, and uh, <laughs> he he had no words for about 30 seconds. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Which is hard to do with Tincup, right? <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> it's it's a
2: it's a family sport.
3: We try to leave people speechless, and we have little <laughs> like notches on the desk to see to see who's got the most speechless victims. So I do want to tell you a little bit more about that Small Scenarios project that we're working on. Yeah, absolutely. These, these are two-page reports. They're free. You don't have to register. You just click the button, and it pops on your desktop. We're going to do 15 or 20 of them. And they're a look at all of the things in HR that are already broken, that there's no going back on. And so mm. so it's it's my view that – that it's not possible to have a big picture. That any scenario you come up with is wrong, but there is some stuff that's seriously bent out of whack as the result of yeah. what we've just been through. That you can start trying to figure out. Um, and, no, not and so are sorry, John. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So 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 we're excited about it because these are small practical things. And instead of having some giant big picture about what the future looks like, you can build a little mosaic solving one problem at a time to find your way into the future. And, and, oh, and we think that's a cool better like approach. That.
2: It, it, that, that is interesting. I, what I was going to ask you a second ago was, did you guys just start doing these like during the coronavirus time? Or is this something that you had started before all this happened? Nope. But we've been doing it for, I think we're this this week we'll publish
3: the fourth, and we've been publishing them once a week. And we're getting all kinds of interesting people to do work, um, coming up with these things. So there are 350 words to describe the problem, and 350 words to describe not answers. I think I think anybody who claims to have answers right now ought to be taken out and shot. Um, but but there are questions there are questions that you can ask that that may help you. Think about how to address the problem in your organization. And this is because this thing is not hitting everybody in the same way. There are some organizations that are having explosive growth, and there are some organizations that are being run into the ground, and there are some organizations that are doing layoffs, and there are some organizations that are hiring more people than you could ever imagine. And so Mm -hmm. it's really, really difficult to generalize about what's going on today. And these yeah, are we, uh, an antidote to
0: that. Yeah. I'm uh, okay. for anybody who's listening, I am. Uh, I'm tossing a link out to it uh, uh, while we're talking on Twitter and on the H uh, our Facebook page. So.
2: To so the small scenarios. Cool. Yeah, so the at Public in the last yep. month we hired over twenty thousand people, which is about a ten percent increase in our workforce, which was done wow. in about four four weeks and Walmart did 10 times that in the retail sector. So, you you know, with 30 million people you know, losing their jobs, then there are, then there are sectors like ours where it's just, it's gone crazy. So it's, 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 it's unbelievable what's going on, you know, simultaneously. Um, Thanks for sharing that. I hadn't actually had a chance to see those. So that wasn't on my list, but I'm glad you guys brought that up. I think that's a, a great idea. And I, I agree with you, John, that right now there are no answers. I mean, I think we're starting the kind of the fumbling moves towards trying to figure out short-term stuff, but it's, I mean, even that is is kind of a mystery, Um, and one of the things that uh, we have, we we don't do a, we don't really do a script on the show, but we do usually have a list of topics, and first topic that I had uh, was kind of, and I'm going to start with Heather, and I had like three quick Three quick questions for you, Heather. I, I think they're quick, um, and certainly if anybody wants to, follow, you know, add on. Uh, but I, I just like to run these topics by you from a from legal perspective. Sure. Um, maybe have you comment on them. So the the first one was um, one of the things that I, you know that that's really interesting is as the as the government tried to craft a, a, a huge you know trillion dollar response. They created a bunch of new laws and, and threw them at, at companies like overnight, which they had to do, but they've created a lot of, I think, crazy situations in doing so. And one of them is yep. this $600, um, great idea, six, an additional $600 for employees who lost their jobs over and above whatever the state rate for unemployment is. But one of the things that that a number of companies are seeing is now people are on unemployment and drawing, actually drawing – more money than they were making as a full-time employee and there's some resistance about people coming back to work and I've seen a lot of um, you know it's it, it, I guess it's a little perplexing on how to deal with it so I wondered if you could comment briefly on how employers that are facing that type of situation might want to think about that or approach it because in the old days if you were laid off and you, you, you the company wanted to bring you back you just made an offer and if they if they came back, then that unemployment was done. And if they declined, usually they fell off unemployment. But it seems like it might not work that way right now. Yeah,
1: I you know I think peop- the the people who are able to start collecting unemployment, and believe me, it is a fraction of the people who have filed claims, mm-hmm. you know, are waiting for their checks to come. Um, and I know, at least in California, there are so many people who couldn't even get through to file the claim. And people who are freelancers or self-employed, they they said that unemployment would be available for them at a lower rate. But you can't actually file a claim if you fit that category because if you say you're self-employed, it kicks you out of the system. So <laughs> I I don't think that... that big fat unemployment checks of, of, you know, in California, it's, it's a little over a thousand dollars a week with the $600, um, bump. Um, you know, people are not sitting around collecting that money and thinking, Oh boy, I'm never going back to work again. You know, it's, it's for a limited time. And, um, and the people who are, resisting going back to work, I think are more concerned for their own health and the health of their families than um, because they're getting
2: unemployment. Right. I, I that's what I was, I, that's what I was going to add. I think a lot of it is driven more about concerns about safety and I don't know if I want to go back now. And at least for right, right now, I can kind of get by on this money, but do I have to, right? So. Oh, um,
1: right.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, do I
1: have to go back to work is the big question, right? Because, right. Um, because employers and some states like Iowa are saying, if your employer says come back to work and you refuse because you're afraid of getting sick, um, then that's a voluntary quit and um, you're off unemployment. So, you know, that's just crazy too, and the OSHA standards are are very general. The employer has to provide a safe workplace and you can refuse to come back if you believe that you are in imminent danger of death or serious injury. And some lawyers are saying, you know, we doubt that a, a virus is, is what they meant here, but if you dig into the requirements, You know, there's no way to prevent it. We don't, we can't treat it. We don't know who's going to die of it. We don't know who has symptoms. We don't know if you have it, whether you have immunity and how long that lasts. Um, And so I think that there's a decent argument for um, going back to work is a dangerous thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, You know, 3,000 people are dying a day.
3: So, so I, I I'd like to weigh in with a louder opinion and say, if the problem is people think that people in unemployment are making too much money and that's why they're not going back to work, maybe they should consider paying a living wage.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: um, mm-hmm. um, it 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 just might be that this is the moment when the the people at the bottom of the ladder get an opportunity to get a leg up. And i'm yeah. i'd be for that I'd be totally for that mm-hmm. so if you have a yeah, high there's, amount of unemployment so be it
2: yeah. yeah, there there's yeah, um, of- you know here here
0: in louisiana um we are uh, in terms of un- in normal times regular unemployment payments we are one of the lowest states i i think uh like forty eighth or so um because our our cap on unemployment, weekly unemployment, is two forty seven.
2: Same in Florida. Um,
0: and the average that people get is like two eighteen. So yeah. in in normal times, somebody on unemployment, it's looking at about two hundred and twenty dollars a week. Imagine that. Um, right. And so then those who are getting that extra six hundred, you know, that's eight hundred dollars a week. If you were making ten dollars an hour, which is not uncommon. Um, at your job here, um, and all of a sudden you're on unemployment and you're getting double that, um, and and you're home and you don't have to worry about childcare because your kids are, you know, you, you're not working and you have nowhere to put your kids anyway. I mean, I think it's it's kind of like Mike said, where it's you know, it's if I can continue to survive on this and not have to go back. Ugh, you know, how do I, how do I weigh that? I'm finally well, well, getting think, a little you, something.
1: You make it last as long as you can, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Why wouldn't you? Um, yeah. And and I'm not sure there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> but yeah, I know. Depending on what your job is and what you're exposed
0: to.
2: Mhm. Yeah. It, the Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. And there's people that have kids at home with no child care available. I recently mentioned that a second right. ago and just, yeah, it's. It, yeah. It, I mean, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, complex issue. I, I was just kind of curious. Um, the other one that is uh, the WARN Act, which is a requirement that employers who are going to do layoffs provide a 60-day notice, typically um, before something closes. You know, with certain numbers. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but um, yeah. that I think that that it feels like that thing has been thrown out the window pretty much because of the. The, the completely unprecedented nature of this emergency. But I, what I was wondering about, Heather, is do you see something, and, and this is also with the third piece, which is um, li- uh, mitigation of liability for employers, especially those who are like healthcare and other industries where people have had to continue to work. Do you, What do you see in terms of the lawsuits developing, um, you know, in those areas, Wern Act cases or class actions based on, I caught Corona because you made me come to work. How do you see that developing in the you know in the next few months after this thing? It's not going to go away, but you know, hopefully, it alters and slows down a little. I just wondered what you thought.
1: Well, I think the the WARN Act has um, they they softened it for the pandemic, and in California, they said you know if if practicable you know please give as much notice as possible and i don't i i don't remember whether anything's happened with the federal law but um it you know i don't think that's a huge issue it's it's probably okay. the 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 least of people's problems even though it has significant penalties um i i think um you know if if the government closes you down and you um, and you have to lay people off because the government closed you down, giving notice to the government that that's coming. It's not right. Yeah. yeah, right? <laughs> so, and then as per employer liability, I, I, you know, in in a normal world, if someone gets sick or injured at work, workers' comp is usually their exclusive remedy. And this is really different and we don't know exactly how that works because it depends on your workers' comp state laws on how they treat infectious disease and also the policy terms. So, some policies won't cover you if it's something that you could have um, picked up somewhere else. And so we're going to see a lot of um, wrangling in in that area as employers try to kick it to workers' comp and workers' comp doesn't want to pick up the liability on that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then if if there are facts that um, showed that the employer knew that somebody at work had COVID-19 or that they had been recently exposed or they you know, where there was some intentional or reckless exposure of the workforce to the virus, um, I could see, I could see tort class actions, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. but, but if, you know, if, if the employers don't have any money, it it won't do any good. Right. So. (laughs) Right.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, so,
1: yeah. So that really only applies to to bigger organizations who have more to lose. The smaller organizations, you know, are it's it's they're they're in scrappy survival mode, um, right. and not really worrying about you know what's happening.
2: I want to I want to go back to John for one second. Um, kind of John, your comment on living wage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, politically, I don't want to get in political discussion, but I, you know, I wonder where we are politically. But the other part of that is, is it? It makes me. and There's, you know, Andrew Yang had the the universal basic income. Um, some employers have provided, uh, you know, they've called it hero pay or hazard pay or pandemic pay, and they've added uh, a couple dollars an hour on top of whatever the people were making. Uh, you know, for a limited time, and and now we're starting to, to to reach sort of the point where the limited time deadlines have either been extended or they're starting to lapse. So we're gonna we're gonna see some employers are gonna try to pull this money back, maybe, which I think will have a very detrimental impact, um, you know, in, in the short term. But I, I wonder, John, you know, is it time for something like universal basic income or uh, on top of the living wage idea? You, you know, I, I I don't know that we'll be
3: able to have universal basic income forever. But but I'm not I'm not a believer that what's going to happen is that magically somewhere in the next six weeks things are going to go back to normal. Uh-huh. We we are in this until there's a vaccine, mm-hmm. um, and and it'd be nice to believe the politicians in Washington, but it seems like a fool's errand. Um, and think that there'll be a, a vaccine by the first of the year. But but you listen to Gates talk, and you look at the real mechanics of building out a vaccine, and it's years away. Mm-hmm. Years away. And, and so we're going to be riding waves of open and closed and crazy for a long time. And um, my guess is that there will be no going back, that the government is going to start really – really having to write checks right um that this first round of this first round of triage was ineffective and and the economy is not going to be navigable for years um and so so on the other side of this we'll have developed some new habits and some new expectations and I don't know if you'd call it a living uh, a universal wage or not. I don't know. I don't know how it will shape out, but I can tell you that that the way we used to do it is not going to be the way we do it going forward.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, chalk that up on yep. the board as another question. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so kind of, you know, speaking of, um, you know, the way we've done things, the way we're what it's going to look like at the other end of this, uh, but also kind of what we're living right now. And, um, you know, I've been working remote for quite some time. The allure of a Zoom happy hour and things like that was nothing new to me necessarily. Um, But all of a sudden we have all these folks who are experiencing this use of work technology at home for the first time. So you know, Zoom conferences and you know, virtual uh, meetings, like you know, always constant, on, on, on. So what's uh, what uh, what's missing from Zoom? Why 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 do people have this uh, this love hate relationship with it? What are what are we gaining? What are we losing with Zoom? So, so, and I guess so I say Zoom could is... mean any kind of brand.
3: Yeah, yeah. What what's happened when you go to to distributed work like we're doing right now, in order to get things done the work has to get more formal. Right? And so so one of the things that happens is anytime you want to have an interaction with somebody, you have to schedule it. And yeah. that means you have to set time parameters on it, right? So it's very formal in its structure and the thing that you're seeing to try to counteract the formality of the work structure is people being informal in their dress in their environments. So so the first thing is it's very formal. The second thing is is when you get into a into a video conference you get talking headshots.
2: Right? Uh-huh. And
3: so you don't get you don't get any body language. You don't get any nuance. You don't get any whispering to the person you're sitting next to. You don't get any um, gossip on the way into the meeting and the way out of the meeting, it's this rigid little straitjacket where you've got your little Jeopardy box or your little uh, mm-hmm. Hollywood Squares box, and, and and you're there, and whether or not you actually need to be there, you're now on display, so if you start multitasking or something, it's obvious mm-hmm. to everybody. And so so the places and the cracks where you used to be able to get work done, because you had to go to the stupid meeting, but it wasn't really about you. Um, <laughs> you can't do that anymore, right? <clears throat> and then the last thing is, so, so you sit in a video conference, and we engage in this collective hallucination. I've got a piece of glass on my desk, and it's got these little flickering pixels in it. And if I pretend really hard, I can come to believe that it's you. <laughs> but it takes, it takes a lot of work to go from flickering, dancing lights on a piece of glass to a real person. And that takes all of this cognitive bandwidth that we don't usually have to use because we're dealing with a real person. And yeah. that's exhausting, right? So we are deprived of full relationships. We're exhausted by the method, and we're stuck in super formal boxes and that's got this productivity mash that's driving some people crazy. I, I would say that 50 or 60% of the people I talk to who are working from home can't wait to get back to an office. Yeah.
0: Well, to, and, you know, one of the things I I picked up on so, you know, this seems like five years ago now, and I guess it was, you know, maybe a month, six weeks ago, um, where all of a sudden <laughs> there was this vast, um, you know, middle end of March, really. Okay, boom! All of a sudden, we've instantly deployed all these people to work from home, and so managers and HR folks, and a lot of times it was the, you know, the the HR person at an organization who's trying to do this. Um, oh, what what can we do to keep everybody, you know, quote engaged while you know we're all on yeah. these video chats. And one of the things that I saw so many people, chi- you know, chiming in on different discussions, you know, they were jam packing everybody's day with more and more stuff to seem like there's frivolity and fun. And, you know, so, oh, we're doing, we're doing trivia night on Wednesday nights with our team, and Friday night we're watching a movie together, and, and then we're going to have an exercise group that wants to get together on Zoom at 7 a.m., and we're, we eat our lunch virtually together.
1: Ah! And
0: at, at one point I couldn't handle it, and I chimed in on a, on a conversation <laughs> in a Facebook group, and I said, you know, for the love of God, you know, please let your people have some time away you know maybe they don't want to look at y'all while they're eating their sandwich their lunch hours when they want to get up go stretch out on the couch take a walk around the block scratch their dog something they you know don't don't jam in this name of you know let's stay connected um it, it, i think there were many doing more harm than good and they didn't realize it at that time because it was so new to them
3: yeah, the thing, yeah. the, the I, thing that's going on,
1: the, go ahead. I find the intimacy unnerving. I don't want somebody that close to me. I don't want somebody's face in my house. I don't. <laughs> Especially, like, in you your know, bedroom.
0: There's people in their bedrooms uh, with yeah, their I are mean, you, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: it's just, it's really weird, and I don't like seeing myself. Um, on the video, and so John taught me um a trick on how you can hide yourself, so that 's not so distracting and what <laughs> you do is you put your cursor on your picture and click it, and a menu will come down and you can hide hide yourself uh-huh. and that has actually been really that 's helped me because um because then i 'm not quite so self conscious <laughs> yeah.
2: I, yeah, I, I wanted to figure out how to change my background, but I haven't been able to do that yet because I keep I keep looking at my blank white wall and my sagging couch cushion where I sit when I do these calls. It's like, I have all it's kinds of good
0: backgrounds.
2: Yeah, uh, although I run a call <laughs> Dave with a guy who had the, the Golden Gate Bridge um, as his background, and, and, it, and yeah. I don't know what I don't know what was going on with his 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 image. But he instead of showing him like you know moving it kept it kept freezing. and so it looked like this guy that was trapped in the phantom zone in the old Superman comics or the Twilight Zone or something his body kept It was so distracting I had to I had to tur- turn his, turn him off um, anyway with that wow. dumps to. But um yeah and and I also learned now that there's zoom etiquette, you know you're supposed to turn off your I, I was like I didn't know that there was zoom etiquette, and it's already it's already become someone said, please turn off your mute your mute your sound when you're not talking because it, otherwise we get background noise, and I'm like yeah, there's a lot of rules that are already developed in just one month that I didn't know about so um <laughs> the um, so so there was so, John you, you when we talked – show one of the questions you had, had met suggested uh, is kind of so so we just talked about like what trying what, how maybe trying to stay engaged backfired a little bit but you had suggested a question john about why are engagement scores rising and i have to admit i'm not really sure of the background of that did you want to kind of counterpoint uh the discussion robin just had with that topic for a second
3: yeah there, there are a couple of studies out talking about um the fact that engagement scores are going up dramatically, um, and and there have been um, articles by big name consultants about this is the golden era of engagement. And, huh. and it makes me it makes me laugh. It makes me laugh. So so 30 percent of the workforce just got laid off. 84 percent of the people. 84 percent of the people who are still working think they're about to get laid off. And so I, it doesn't surprise me that engagement scores are going up because the last thing that you want, if you're scared of losing your job, you want your boss to think that this is the best place you ever worked. You sure as hell don't walk around <laughs> complaining, right? <laughs> you know. And so, of course, engagement scores are going up. Engagement scores are going up because the power balance changed from employees to employers overnight. And um, the meaning of engagement scores has totally changed, right? And so, so, so I think anybody who pays attention to engagement scores in the next year or two is bonkers, is bonkers. And if you do get sort of quantified engagement scores out of your organization, you need some kind of way to validate that, that people are not right. just telling you what you want to hear, uh, because, yeah. because when you're scared about losing your job, you tell people what they want to hear.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, like yeah, and especially it, 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 this is kind of a unique because we had, you know, we had the 2008 housing meltdown, right? Which was the the last, uh, you know, event of similar stature. Although I think this is more impactful um, because it came so swift swiftly. Although the housing market did too, I guess. Um, you know, we had 10 years of, you know, really low unemployment. And so a lot of employers, you know, had, were, you know, adding benefits and adding, you know, kind of adding just work experience and all of that. Um, And all that got thrown out the window like a month ago, it seems like. So how do you even level set engagement scores if you've been doing a survey every year and all that kind of stuff? How do you even know where to begin to compare data? I don't know if you can.
3: Well, I think this is a big, big big thing and it's part of the the reason for the small scenarios stuff is every single quantitative measure that you have for navigating in the HR department is now officially broken mm. right hiring cycles work differently the volume of applications is different what attrition means is different the status of your benefits plans totally different, the demand on benefits plans, totally different. Uh, one of my favorites is um, bereavement leave. Bereavement right. leave is something that, that we used, you know, you, nobody's got a bereavement leave budget, and nobody manages bereavement leave to a budget. You just assume that it's going to be about the same as last year. And yeah. I promise you, the first day that that, we're, yeah. that we are open for business as usual, Everybody who lost somebody is going to apply for bereavement leave. <laughs> You're going to see a day when 40% of the workforce want bereavement leave. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? What, what's the policy that you have to install that makes it okay to tell this person it's okay to go to Detroit and bury their mom, but this person it's not okay to go to Detroit and bury their mom? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Right. These are these are problems that HR has not had to deal with in the past because bereavement leave was just a steady state thing. And there are a lot of places where we've made assumptions that things are just going to be more like they were last year and all of those bets are off.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And And so we're going to have to think really, really hard about, about the meaning of our policy the intent of our policy and how we ensure business continuity while being good employers. Mhm. Tough stuff. tough stuff yeah. and nobody's nobody's paying attention to that but there's junk like this all
2: over the place that's already broken and needs to be attended to. Mm-hmm. What are, what are the and, what are the and, topics that you, you've covered in the small scenarios already John what are the, what are the you said that i think there were four out so far. So, so bereavement
3: leave is one. Okay.
2: Um, w- we took a look at
3: who are the most valuable people in the organization and who do you need to do succession planning for, and it turns uh-huh. out that you need to do succession planning for frontline workers
0: uh-huh.
3: because because we're going into an environment where there's a 20% risk that any particular employee is going to be sick for 90 days. Uh-huh. and there 's a five percent risk that any particular employee is going to be dead right <laughs> and so and so you got to look it's this is not doing a layoff this is this is business continuity planning, and it 's succession planning about where revenue happens, not about the leadership right so that's that 's one um, we've got one coming out about um uh how do you do uh, college recruiting and what does it mean in this environment? Uh, what does an internship look like in this kind of an environment? Um, that's that's next week's. Um... Heather, you've seen these. I, I'm forgetting a couple. Yeah,
1: we d- we <laughs> did one on Zoom. We did one on engagement. Oh, right. So so they they were informing the questions that you fed Michael to ask you.
3: <laughs> How clever of you! Oh, that was- <laughs> That, that
2: was that, that was clever that that was that was clever that was, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the way unscripted podcasts work is you ask the gut hey what do you want to talk about that's
0: right and then let them
2: expound with their brilliance uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with that, so i'm happy that
0: that so kind of so kind of um you know in that in here. that vein of of what people are going to be walking into you know um, we've got people talking you know, oh, we're reopening the office next week, the week after, you know, whatever, phased or all at once. I'm in a all. Um, we're going to all of a sudden have people, um, you know, usually HR folks, um, wanting to track the health status of their employees. Um, yeah. You know, taking temperatures that that haven't taken temperatures because they may be closed before got right. pandemic. Um, what are yeah. what are some things that that companies need to watch out for, kind of around that whole health aspect, you know? But what what, yeah. is, what do they need to think about and look out for?
1: Well, you know, the EEOC has said you can take people's temperatures. Um, you didn't used to be able to, but they've said you know this is a pandemic, and so yeah. you're allowed to take people's temperatures. Um, In California, that would trigger a California Consumer Privacy Act notice requirement. Yeah. Um, And so that data would also be protected by HIPAA. So there's, you know, there's all sorts of things. And then if you're going to put somebody close enough to take a temperature, even with a, you know, a thermal laser beam one you know you yeah. need to make sure that they have personal protective equipment and you know so so it it's a big deal to try to do that and i'm not sure that it gives you too much valuable information because your big problem is the people who are asymptomatic and walking around right. and infecting everyone for 2 weeks before yeah. they start to run a fever yeah. and the You know, the data is coming out that maybe only about 50% of people who have it have a fever. So, you know, you're really only going to be able to detect severe cases, and and the likelihood of someone showing up at that point is probably low. So, um, you know, if if someone is sick or says that they're sick, um, you have to assume that they are because we don't have any way to know for sure one way or the other. And so you can send them home. You can ask them to seek medical care. You can ask them to get a coronavirus test, but you can't demand the answer. Um, and so... You know, the only way to be safe is to assume that anyone who says they have symptoms has it. And, yeah. and that means that there's going to be a lot, you know, a lot of people coming and going and not showing up to work. And and then the system that they've set up or are mm-hmm. in the process of setting up is if you're afraid to go to work, you have no rights. But if you uh-huh. think that you're sick and you have a symptom, then suddenly you get extra benefits and your job uh-huh. is protected and they can't uh-huh. discriminate against you. And so I don't expect anyone to say that they're afraid to come to work. I expect everyone to say I'm worried that I might have it. And yep. I and and they wouldn't be lying.
2: Right. Yeah. I, I have a really dumb, basic question. If you are doing that taking temperature practice, who, it, it, should it be a medical professional, or it, it should it be the HR clerk? Or, I mean, is there any concern for employers to even worry about there? I know there's not a law, but
1: yeah, I, you know, I I think almost anyone is capable of taking an accurate temperature, assuming that you have decent equipment. Um,
2: Yeah. I I don't think,
1: I don't think that's a real issue. Um, But, but I, I don't see any point in doing it because, because the hassle and the risk to people involved and, you know, I think the people showing up with temperatures are going to be very few and the people who are asymptomatic and sick who wouldn't be detected by temperatures are the real problem and so taking temperatures doesn't solve anything.
2: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it makes sense. You get into like do you pay the people for the it's, minute that it takes that you to take the temperature like donning and doffing, you know, there there are all kinds of weird it's little It's total health and
0: safety theater. Yeah. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: well you know what it's made me think of is um you know not to, not to make light of terrorist things, but you know it's um this is the we're gonna be taking people's temperatures um or have temperature screenings forever now it's kind of like to take your shoes off at the airport right. once we started that we, right. we never stopped, and right. it's like we're gonna we're gonna be Taking people's forehead temperatures at maybe not necessarily well some workplaces, but at public venues like for years.
1: I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know. It, it's yeah. It's it's a good it's a
0: good question. It's the theater. It's the theater part of <laughs> it, it though, because it'll look like we're doing something. <laughs> I'm taking your temperature. Yeah, then we'll
3: have the day where you get the tsa pre-card so you don't have to have your temperature taken.
0: right yeah
2: that's right. what i'm
3: right I've right and, and then you would be though. able to airlines pay a couple hundred bucks
2: about, yeah I, I today i saw an article that said airlines are considering issuing a sort of a passport i mean it's not really a passport but a sort of a passport document if somebody says it can prove they've had coronavirus you know, based on the theory uh, that they have immunity now, or you know, built up immunity, that they they will they, they will be able to board without all the crap that whatever the airlines are going to do when people start flying again, and that that huh. just seems crazy. You have, and it and it you know it segregates or it separates people from I, I had it I didn't have it I mean it's just yeah, crazy. yeah Yeah.
3: Why, why um, do you suppose it's so hard for people to say I don't know? You know the the idea that. The idea that the airlines are going to do that is totally contingent on somebody discovering that you do have immunity if you've had it once, and, and there's no such scientific research, right? Right. So, so, right. so we, just we don't, don't know. know. So, we don't know, and and it appears to be a sin to say so.
2: Hmm. I I have no idea. Um, so one of the other questions
1: <laughs> nicely I'm nicely like, done. <laughs>
2: I think I know the answer to this question. Uh, <laughs> I think we just we just talked about it for forty five minutes. Why is everyone so tired right now? Why are
1: we so tired?
2: <sighs> yep, that was a John question.
1: Because. We are walking through a reality that causes extreme cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. You know, I look outside my window. It is a beautiful day. My flowers are, are blooming. The weather is beautiful. There's going to be an amazing, gorgeous full moon. The birds are on the hummingbird feeder, and they just don't give a crap about, you know, pandemics. And here we are afraid of something that we can't see that is killing a lot of people and everyone I know knows somebody who has had it. And I'm starting to get to the point where everyone I know knows somebody who has died and um, that's really stressful. And then there's Mm -hmm. the, you know, financial insecurity. What's going to happen? And, you know, am I going to be able to feed my kids and pay my bills and, Um, what if I can't, then what happens? And so, you know, the uncertainty of the, of the future is really stressful. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. all of our routines and everything that we do each day has been turned upside down. And, you know, even, even John and I, who, who work from home most of the time, um, are struggling to focus because everything just seems so crazy and unreal.
2: hmm I heard so, a, a, so a Go I, ahead, I, ahead Jack. Uh,
3: yeah, I'd I'd say a kind of a different thing, which is um there's this myth that we've been kicking around for a long time that learning is fun and learning mm-hmm. should be fun. <laughs> It's not. Learning sucks. And we're in the middle of learning about everything all at once. Nothing yeah. is the same. None of the routines are the same. And just that being in the world of I don't know and constant uncertainty and trying to figure out where there's some kind of predictability in all of this, that's just not fun. And and at the same time, if you sit with it a little bit, it is the single most powerful opportunity we've had to rewrite some important things, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so this is what learning feels like.
0: <laughs> I, 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 I can tell you that one of the things that I I would say it it really took me until about maybe two weeks ago. Um, but one of the things that I did for my sanity and mental health was. Um, to not tune in to any live <laughs> um briefings <laughs> shall we call them yeah um yep. or uh updates um of any uh, really of any sort i catch yeah i I catch 'em on the replay or i i I wait until after dinner and then I sort of you know just read everything and 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 look at the updates because my every afternoon, late afternoon here. You know, every afternoon uh, my my stress level would just rocket. Yeah. And uh, and I would just get more exhausted. Um. So I I learned muted. to stuff. I've muted yeah. a
1: whole bunch of words on my social. Yeah. Um. And it has made a huge difference. And when I go into you know the the little Magnification thing on Twitter where it shows you things that you might like it's all nature uh. and gardening <laughs> and bird watching and art it's like so i'm doing something right <laughs> Mhm
2: I heard a really interesting mm-hmm. uh interview today on um, nPR and they, they the discussion was basically with a a person who does dream analysis um. But the, what, what's going on is um, uh, it, the, people are reporting in large numbers that they're having these huge, vivid dreams about current circumstances. And the one that struck me today was a uh, guy said that he had a, a, a dream that Joe Biden came into his house um, and it dressed like a, like, a, like a Catholic cardinal in purple robes. And conducted an exorcism to, to get bad politics out of his house. I mean, it sounded ludicrous. Wow! Oh my guy, gosh! <laughs> this, is like really, this is really a dream I had, and the and the lady went on and said, you know, yeah, this is like, you know, you're, you know, it, 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 this is this is really a symptom of of tremendous uncertainty. not your mind is trying to sort through things, and so we grab on to symbols. And it can even be politics, which I—it just—it it kind of made me laugh. And it, but but I I know that I've been having bigger, more vivid dreams, and so it's fascinating to me that our bodies are trying to kind of help us readjust, even even if we don't know it. But it, it also mm-hmm. makes me think that that's another big HR problem coming at us in the future. Is yes, how do we help our workforce once they return to work? and and i think everyone just kind of i you know i think everyone hopes that they'll just kind of walk back to the office on us a, on a, on a monday in a couple of weeks and and we'll be able to kind Get of away. do that and it, i know it's not going to happen but i think people yearn for that outcome right and and we, so how do we help them you know it's not change management it's more like ptsd management it, maybe
1: it is exactly ptsd yeah. it is it is exactly ptsd it's we are all traumatized you know our world has been turned upside down and we're seeing things that are horrifying um, in our, in our culture, in our, um, in, in, with the virus, all all sorts of things. And real you know, the stories that we've told ourselves about all, all sorts of things work in government and, um, you know, humanity um, are turning out somewhat differently depending on your level of privilege, you know? So, um, so it's, it's hard, and I, I think I think if we start with the idea that we are all recovering from trauma, we'll be in a much better place to help people recover and focus, and if we try to fit everything back into the box that we left, um, it's going to cause more trauma. And so, you know, I think that's a foundational thing that we need to address and we need to get some understanding about how people recover from trauma. And then I think that this can also inform some of the other things that we're dealing with, you know, with with gender equity and diversity and inclusion and and other equity issues because all, all forms of discrimination are are a form of trauma. And if we can get our collective brains around that idea and start using the things that we know help people who have had a traumatic experience Um, We'll be better off than if we just pretend like nothing happened.
3: I think there might be another another layer to that, and that that is just to tie Michael's Michael's notion to yours, Heather. Um, uh, There's a There's a function in our brains that allows us to tell the difference between sleeping and dream uh, dreaming and waking. We Mm -hmm. we are able to distinguish between dreaming and waking, but that function is over-exercised when you use video conferencing, right? So when, mm. you're, when you're in video conferencing, in order to effectively use video conferencing, you have to inhibit that function. And, huh. and so my, my sense is that what constitutes trauma may change if you've inhibited the process that's most likely used to work through trauma, which is the dream process, um, mm-hmm. uh-huh. And that, and that the kind of things that Michael is seeing, are actually the consequence of using so much media time.
2: Mm. That that was actually mentioned in the interview. Oh. They talked about the 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 fact that um, a variety of things actually, John. Uh, you know, the blue blue light. Right. We're spending so much time in front of screens, whether it's TV, phone, or or Zoom, the computer, much more than we normally did during the workday because we would get up and walk around. So that was a factor. People are eating and drinking differently. They're consuming more sugar because they're working at home. They're drinking caffeine, you know, that kind of, in different ways. And so it's, it impacts, not only does it impact the brain, it impacts your sleep cycles, which then, you know, so it's kind of a vicious circle in a way is kind of what they said beyond the, you know, beyond the trying to sort through and psychologically get your, your mind in order a little bit around what's confronting you. So there's a pretty fa- pretty fascinating uh, interview actually um, we only have about four minutes left um, I had a couple questions about AI and HR tech but I don't think we're gonna get there so what unless you have some big big thought John or Heather on in either of those I'm not trying to end the end it. I just don't think we'll be able to cover it so anything else we should touch on
3: well let me let me give you two seconds about AI and HR tech the first thing okay. is, a i did a i didn't die six weeks ago in in right. fact it's getting more it's getting more important but some things are weird you know most of most of the stuff that got the the showcase was machine learning that depended on historical data and guess what there's no historical data <laughs>
0: um, and,
3: and, and so so there's a there's a recovery there that's going to take a long time. In the meantime, there's natural language processing. And natural language processing is great for handling things like the call volume into HR. There isn't an employee who hasn't tried to get a hold of HR because everything has changed, right? And so the call volume is 100x. And there are great tools for answering repetitive questions.
2: And they Mm -hmm. use natural
3: language processing. And they are... Those companies are doing a banner business because they're bailing out HR people so they can do real work. And then the other stuff that's work, working that uses NLP are the tools that sift through uh, job applications because the number of job applications has gone from a trickle to a torrent. Um, and so, so these are two places where right now there's super value to be had by installing AI. Um, awesome. and, and, and don't try to predict attrition with your
2: AI system right now. <laughs> <you know. laughs> so so um, we got about two minutes left. So you mentioned HR Examiner. Uh, could each of you take a minute and tell folks that are listening where they can find you on the interwebs? Go, no, Heather.
1: Yeah, I am Heather at hrexaminer.com. And that's the best way to get a hold of me. I'm also on LinkedIn at Heather Bussing and on Twitter at at Heather Bussing.
3: So let me recommend her Twitter account, at Heather Bussing, for the the hummingbirds and the Daily Breathe photography Uh and the witty repartee with employment lawyers. If, if, you, if, you want, if you want to have your mind changed about employment lawyers, you should follow Heather because it turns out that some of them actually have senses of humor. Um, <laughs> I think we know all, we all of them. Yeah, all the yeah so on once I show, do, we've so. had
0: on the show. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: and, and then I'm John at HR Examiner, and you can find me at John Sumser on Twitter um and I, I would have said just six weeks ago at almost any conference worth attending right. <laughs> but <laughs> but that part of my life is tragically over and as a result I don't have jet lag anymore. Um and <laughs> and so this has been a gas, guys. Thanks for thanks for asking. Yeah,
2: thanks for thanks oh. for joining us. I'm really thrilled yeah, you guys absolutely. were able to get on. And uh yeah, so Robin, closing thought?
0: Yeah, closing thought. Um we, we, we can't be together at the conferences, but it is wonderful to talk to the two of you in this yes, format. Thank you. So thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much.
2: We, we have a daytime the the the, the live feed will end but we it'll it'll keep recording. We have a uh we have a daytime show uh Thursday at one PM Eastern time with uh Rebecca Ray from the conference board. To talk some more about COVID 19. So, unfortunately, we can't look away from that topic, but it was great to have friends on and catch up. So, uh, stay in touch and thanks very much for joining us on Drive Through, John and Heather. I'm going to go ahead and end the show. So, uh, have, a, night, have a great day. everybody. Rest of the week. Good, night. Good night. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.